Hey everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 7, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to a friend of mine dating all the way back to the 1900s. John Farian is a guy that I got to know right here in my hometown of Brainerd, Minnesota, where he was born and raised. My memory getting to know him begins with first being a photographer taking pictures during the Friday night supercross races here in town. While doing that as a hobby, John ran the photography department at the local Walmart where he kept being promoted. These promotions continued for 18 years before transitioning to the cellular giant T-Mobile. T-Mobile moved him around a bit, even sending him as far east as New Hampshire for a year and a half before another relocation sent him to where he currently resides in Sammamish, Washington in 2012. We lost touch for a few years, but like most true friendships, the conversation picked right back up years later when we reconnected. John was still with T-Mobile then, but he now has what I would think is every kid's dream job, working for none other than Microsoft in the Xbox department. Intertwined with his professional life, John became a host on his own show, John Farian Live. This was a Facebook show basically focused on snowmobile safety, and he created the Live Large Universe. We'll talk to him about that. Also, This led John to a string of life-changing events that actually led John full circle right back here to a world on two wheels. To get more on his story, let me introduce all of you to John Farian. John, welcome to the show. Hey, live large, everybody. How the heck is it going, (laughs) Mr. Craig? It's going, like I always say, epic. Everything here is epic. Epic. I can't complain. Well, I like to tell everybody when they ask me how I'm doing, I'm like, well, I am just short of spectacular today, so... (laughs) <laughs> well, how do we get you too spectacular? That's the question. Well, that's that's the goal. Like, we just kind of challenge everybody. It's like, if I'm not quite spectacular, but I'm just short of it, it kind of throws everybody off because everybody, you know, the answer is like, oh, I'm doing great. No problem, right? But, you know, to push it over the top and to get people's attention and to let them know I'm engaged in this discussion, I am just short of spectacular today, Craig. And look exactly what it did to the discussion here. So how you doing out there? Way out west, Sammamish, Washington. Tell us about where you live. Yeah, so Sammamish, Washington, uh, it, it's funny because when you first see it and you read it, you're like, how do you say that word, right? There's a lot of words out here in the Seattle area, town names like Issaquah and Snohomish and Snoqualmie. And, you know, there are actually a lot of uh, local Native American names, you know, whether it be the rivers, the towns or whatever. And we're just on the eastern suburbs of the Seattle metro metropolitan area. It's kind of cool because we're in this, uh, you know, bedroom community, I like to call it, for companies like Microsoft and Costco and Amazon like it's a it's a pretty amazing place that if you had asked me Craig when you and I first met and I was probably in my teens you know would I ever end up in the the Seattle market and you know working for some you know literally at this point one of the world's largest companies uh, as you said playing with Xboxes <laughs> that was a, a, a good intro I like that every kid's dream job it's like yeah would you would I have said that I would ever be here today doing this in Sammamish Heck no. Like, honestly, I've, uh, I've lived a life of, you know, this live large thing we'll get into later, um, exceeding all of my own expectations and dreams for my life, uh, just trying to, to live my best life. So, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so cool to have watched the growth over the years and see where you're at, where you've become. I've been fortunate enough to come out and see you and hang out at your place. It seems like I was there for three, four days, wasn't I? Yeah, I was. I know you'd come out for a delivery. Uh, you know the the product coming in on the, in the port here locally, and uh, 
you had came a few days ahead of time to make sure when you was ready to go, you were ready to go. So uh, it was awesome to be able to host you. And, uh, you know, the next promise you made, which you have not quite held up to yet, is bringing Renee out with you. So uh, those who don't know, I'm going to throw this out there, is yeah. uh, Craig, Craig's fiance, my wife, Edith, uh, and Renee are cousins. And so uh, we now, over the years, have got this family connection as well, kind of indirectly. So. Yeah, and it's crazy. And the deal was... Um, that I'm not allowed back until she comes. Unless with. Renee comes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. <laughs> I haven't been at. able to <laughs> make it happen yet. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So you guys, we got it. We got an open guest room ready for you guys to roll out here. Yep. I know when she listens to this, that'll give her a chuckle. Cause I know we've both been trying to find the time to get out there. So we're looking Absolutely. forward to making the trip for sure. Perfect. So you brought up one of the things I was going to talk about being married to Edith. Tell us about your family life, your wife, you got a couple kids, you're living far away from family. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there right up front is, uh, you know, coming from, quote unquote, you know, small town America, Brainerd, Minnesota, the same as you. Um, I look back at my life now at 47 years old and I think of, you know, the opportunities that I've had with the idea that, you know, willing to chase an adventure. Right. And just, you know, rewind back to 1993. I graduated high school. It was, I think, 95. I met my uh, now wife of over 25 years, Edith Berrien. You know, used to be Edith Mudgett. And um, it, it's pretty amazing to think back of, you know, you know, 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid, working at Walmart, kind of getting promoted within. And there was a moment in time where my wife and I looked at each other and says, like, well, are we willing to, to go for an adventure and to pick up and move? And, you know, at that time, my wife and I both had what we considered at the time, good jobs, good paying jobs, especially for the community that we were in. And for one of us as a team to make a conscious decision to be like, okay, yeah, let's, let's quote unquote sacrifice, you know, your job. We're going to let you leave your job so that we can pursue what's ultimately best for the team and the family. Right. And yeah, my wife of 25 years now, I, I look back at it and I'm like, wow, there, there's no way I would be where I am today, professionally, personally, in any way, shape or form without, my sidekick, Edith Farian, uh, my wife, who has uh, been the one who's, you know, helped push me, been supportive, and all those things. And along the way, we ended up with two amazing kids, right? So, uh, and, and this is an important part of the motorcycle story we'll get into in a few minutes, is uh, my oldest son, John, my youngest son, Max, they're currently 18 and 20 years old, respectively, um, right at that point where they're exiting high school, partial way through college already because they're taking advantage of programs uh, that we call running start out here. I think in the Brainerd area, they called it uh, post-secondary option, which is something I did back in the day too, college and high school together. So uh, two boys, uh, you know, virtually adults, which I'm at that point where I'm almost an empty nester and I got a lot more time to get out on the, the mountain snowmobiling and or now motorcycling with my wife and my kids. So That's so cool. And to be an empty nester at our age is, uh, is kind of exciting. You being an empty nester, we're almost there also. Yeah. We're still young enough to go out and do stuff. And it's so cool exactly. that we have girls that want to do that with us. And yours, yep. as you were saying that, I want you to talk about snowmobiling. So to, to the listeners, you're a guy that has been a snowmobiler through and through forever. So you know what? Let's just talk snowmobiles. Yeah. How did you get into snowmobiles? Let's talk a little bit about that first. Yeah. No, this is, this is interesting, and, and I will jump into that in just a second, but uh, out of respect for the listeners who are listening, which I know are going to be 99% motorcyclers, what I want to share real quick before we jump into that is that, uh, you know, I'm currently 47 years old, and it's only been a year, a little less than a year, June would be a year for me, where I've been an uh, endorsed motorcycle rider, and prior to a year ago, 
the entire life experience I had on two wheels was probably approximately 30 minutes my entire life that I'd spent on two wheels on a motorcycle doing anything. You know, I've done snowmobiles and boats and Jeeps and, you know, ATVs and different things over the years. But uh, motorcycling was, was a thing that wasn't easily accessible because you had to go get the endorsement and I didn't have anybody around me really pushing me into it. But yeah, that, that passion for motorcycling that I'm getting now that we're going to get into, it's a pretty cool story. And we'll get into that here shortly, but you know, that thought process of, snowmobiling like I literally I bought you know as a kid I grew up riding you know old 1970s already kept snowmobiles around my rural Merrifield Minnesota town you know who just north of Brainerd about 10 miles um, grew up riding the ditches the lakes the trails of around my hometown in Merrifield Minnesota and then at 19 years old when I finally had a decent job at Walmart became the manager of the one-hour photo lab um, one of my purchases I made was my first brand new snowmobile and, uh, you know, the thinking of that defining moment of, you know, getting into it, just immediately, you know, riding the track right off that thing, um, that idea of getting on it, experiencing the great outdoors, the, the performance, the, you know, the speed, you know, all these things that go into why we ride these machines that get us out into the, the world that we live in. Um, snowmobiling has been that conduit. And the cool part for me is that, uh, snowmobiling has taken me on a, a life ride that I never would have dreamed of or expected and to have a presence within the snowmobile industry. Um, just a little tidbit, not to go into any detail, but, you know, I actually am sponsored by, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, eight, nine companies now um, in the work that I do in the snowmobile industry on social media. I do, as we talk about here in a little bit, a podcast that I do myself. Um, all of those things have led to having a, a decent presence in the snowmobile industry. And so a fun part of getting into the motorcycle industry for me is going from being a expert per se, kind of like your role within the industry of motorcycling and having a lifelong experience of it, taking that and now translating into like starting something brand new, fresh, being an experienced motorsports person, but being brand new in a new sport like motorcycling. I find it's a whole different perspective that gives, frankly, it makes me a, a better at my snowmobiling, right? Because it allows me now to filter my thought process of how, you know, what am I experiencing as a new motorcycler? How is that something I can help others with as they experience snowmobiling for the first time? And I think that's one of my goals for this show, this podcast, is not only to, to share my motorcycle experience, but encourage people to try different sports. Like if you've only been motorcycling your whole life, holy smokes, you're missing out on an entire beautiful winter world on snowmobiles. That's a very similar experience in many ways. So we can talk about that later. Yeah, and I can attest to the crossover because, you know, living here in Minnesota, I'm a snowmobile guy that by far was always one of my favorite things to do growing up. So I was going to point out the fact that now you're, you're the new kid and you're looking to the experts for help and advice. It's really a role reversal for what you, what you're used to, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's really got me fired up, you know, both snowmobiling and motorcycling to experience that and add into it too, over the same, almost same period of time, even a little bit longer is jeeping. So just, you know, October of 2020, I think it was, I bought a Jeep and, uh, you know, been off-roading now too. And I'm experiencing being a newbie, a beginner in that as well. And again, the crossover of knowledge and experience and skills that you gain in one sport, there's a ton of crossover, but also then a lot of newness that uh, really makes the whole experience super exciting to be on that other side of the fence of being the person learning instead of the person coaching and teaching. So it never ends. Does it? I mean, yep. no matter what you're doing, you can always learn more. So it's exactly. cool to jump into something that I would call a cool sport. Anything that we do yep. is a cool sport that Absolutely. Uh, you don't know anything about, 
but you're not being discouraged to the point of wanting to quit. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, you know, having people in the sport that is willing to teach, train, help bring along, mentor, coach, and, you know, educate, um, there, there's a, a ton of need for that, I think, in all of the sports that we participate in and too. And, you know, having friends like yourself who motorcycle that, you know, can give tips and advice, whether it be on gear or safety equipment or just the type of bike to ride and how you're going to ride it and kind of getting people into the right right items that, you know, it, it, it's highly valuable to a point that I don't think we as humans recognize until we've been on both sides of the coin where we're doing it, but then on the other side of it is like we're learning too. And you see the, the full value of it when you get that full 360 view. Absolutely. Bringing new people in. So you're, you're a new person, but bringing new people to the sport. When you and your wife met, were, was she a snowmobiler at all? Because I know Edith as this beautiful, timid, quiet, not real aggressive person. Now, I could be wrong. I guess Renee might laugh at me and go, <laughs> no, that's not the case. But, awesome. is, but you know what I'm saying, right? Is that, is oh, that yeah. the way yeah, she was? And now she's a snowmobiler. So how did you get her involved? Yeah, like reminder, I'm, I've been married for 25 years now. So Edith and I have known each other for a long time. And uh, at the time that I met Edith was the first year or two when I had first bought my first new snowmobile back at 19, 20 years old. I think I met Edith when I was 20, I think kind of my mid-late 20s, or not 20s, but 20. And then by the time I was 21, just short of 22 is when we got married. So I got married, you know, by today's standards, fairly young. And, uh, you know, when I, you know, she, Edith grew up in Minnesota as well. So she had snowmobiled a little bit, but um, was it wasn't really a thing of hers. And frankly, as I've experienced with a lot of ladies in, in all of these sports is she got cold very easy. And so not having the right gear, not knowing how to dress, you know, for the new, you know, newness of all the new riding gear that's out there with all the different materials that are available with windproofing, waterproofing, you know, all those kind of things and just layering up, um, you know, snowmobiling was never an enjoyable sport for her. And so what I found pretty early in my marriage and in my snowmobiling career and kind of my 20s was I loved it. I went out all the time and I really tried to bring her along for the ride, but, you know, I tried to go do what I wanted to do and I tried to bring her along with it. Right. And by being somebody who's skilled at it, like think of motorcycling, right? If you're a skilled motorcycler and you're not going to pause, you know, slow yourself down, take the time to mentor and coach somebody along the way, you know, you're going to find really quickly that people are going to lose interest because they can't keep up. They feel like they're holding you back and it becomes this burden. And I'm add to that now, cold weather, bumpy snowmobile trails, all that stuff it simply wasn't enjoyable for her. And so, yeah, for many, many years, I found that the thing that I love to do, this is an important phrase here, the thing that I love to do took me away from the person that I wanted to be around the most, the person I loved the most, right? And so I had this inner battle, inner conflict my entire life of, wow, chasing and pursuing my passion, whether it be snowmobiling, motorcycling, whatever, how do I make sure that I bring somebody along for the ride or vice versa, right? Or how do they bring me along for the ride as I'm, I'm learning and growing into it. And it's, it's this ability to decide why am I riding? Right. And if you asked me 20 years ago when I was early in the snowmobiling, why do I ride then? It was about the excitement, the speed, the passion, the getting out there and going. And you ask me now why I ride. It's about the people, right? It's about the com sense of community, the sense of network that you have, the ability to kind of mentor and coach and help people, um, you know, in the snowmobile world, I am, you know, like you would be in the motorcycle world, an advanced skilled rider in the motorcycle world. You are Craig. For me, I'm still very much a beginner, but in the snowmobile world, I'm highly skilled snowmobiler. 
And so for me to quote unquote, you know, slow down my pace to the point where I can still enjoy bringing people on board and hosting beginner rides and all those type of things that we do with our snowmobile club to get people in the sport and building it. That's where I found my personal joy now is more in this mentorship role of bringing people into the sport. And again, now being on the reverse side of that, it's given me an even deeper appreciation for the process uh, that we're in, you know, that we go through to get, to get to this point. So. Absolutely. I have, you remember when I, when we were setting up for this podcast, I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta add this to your notes. What's that? (laughs) No, you remember me making that comment. I typed it in. And one of the things is that you are a guy that's always better with words than I am. So and that's, <laughs> I'm, I, I admit to that, but, uh, and, and we've talked through this multiple times behind the scenes on various issues and topics, but yeah, the, yeah. your wording there is perfect. How, you know, you get to go do what you love to do, but it pulls you away from the one you love. And that's, that's kind of a, that's a dilemma for all of us, I think. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to know or how, you know, I got Renee on the back of the bike. She loves it. Absolutely love her as a passenger. If she ever wanted to get her own, absolutely, I would support that. But I really like her on the back. We can talk. We can communicate. But then you did also throw in, in the winter, you have snow, cold, um, brutally cold here in Minnesota. So kudos to getting her on a snowmobile way back then. I know that's a little different where you're at now. But to get her on the snowmobile... How did you, you just basically found what she needed and fixed it? Or how did you get her, how'd you get her more involved? Yeah. Yeah. No, good question. So, and sorry, I didn't answer that thoroughly the first time, but uh, yeah, to take that and close it out is the idea that when we moved to Washington state, you know, we get a lot of snow up in the mountains, but down at low elevation where we live, we're at 400 feet of elevation here in Sammamish, Seattle's at sea level basically, right? Because we're off Puget Sound. And so we here don't get a lot of snow and cold you know winter temperatures average at my house here is probably 35 to 45 degrees through the entire winter we get cold snaps where it's in the 20s once in a great while in the teens but that's it and so we don't deal with snow and ice and stuff here at home and so when we go up and play even when we're up in the mountains in the snow in most cases we're riding you know fahrenheit temperature 25 to 35 degrees is pretty consistent and so you don't have that brutal brutal cold now add to that I got to tell you, Craig, some of the most spectacular scenery legitimately on the planet is the Cascade Mountain Range. Anybody who hasn't come up and experienced it, especially in the winter months when you get up there and all the roads are closed, the trails, you know, everything's closed except for access with snowmobiling or skiing or however you're going to get out there. But seeing the backcountry at its best because it's covered in a blanket of snow, um, you know, sometimes you get lucky enough out here because we get a lot of snow. That means there's a lot of clouds and a lot of weather. So when you have those really optimal like beautiful days like there's nobody on the planet that if i could just pick them up and place them on top of a mountain in the winter out here in the winter time that they wouldn't feel like this was one of the most spectacular moments in their life right that's what we experience up here snowmobiling and there's there's areas that people can google called mount baker mount baker washington do some searches on that on the internet and you'll see like we have some of the most spectacular views and, and scenery here on the planet and so that along with the warmer weather and the different type of riding that we do, where it's not just about how many miles you can put on, but more about the quality time in the backcountry with people, the community, being involved in clubs. And I think that translates into motorcycle clubs and snowmobile clubs, both the same as that sense of community. That's what's really pushed her over the top over the recent years. And, and I've frankly have had to have a ton of patience when it comes to bringing her along, because frankly, I think that's where a lot of couples and just people in general, you know, miss the mark is they don't have the patience 
to bring somebody along at the pace that they're willing to come along. Like in, in my mind, like Edith could have been a much better rider, much quicker had she been willing to push herself. But had I done that, she frankly wouldn't be there. And so I let her learn it at her pace. I've created opportunity, um, encouraged her, cheered her on, been her biggest cheerleader. And uh, the evolution of it now is that people around us that we communicate with in the Soma clubs and everywhere else through social media, you know, they are all now like very in awe of her skill level, what she's accomplished. So now she has this sense of pride of being somebody in our community that people, you know, especially other women look up to respect, respond to. And she's there just like me at the club rides, helping host and stuff too. We ride together and, uh, you know, we're getting other people involved in the sport. And I think there's a ton of parallels there in the, in the motorcycle community as well that, uh, you know, could be done through a bike club or, you know, getting with together with friends and riding together. But, you know, if everybody, all they want to do is go race as fast as they can down a curvy road, guess what? You're going to intimidate a lot of people getting into the sport. And uh, for me, I've gotten back to that point where, like, I ride whatever I ride because it's that sense of community more so than just the adrenaline rush. To me, the adrenaline rush and the excitement and the performance, that's the side benefit. Like, that's the plus up. But that's not the, the, the root of why I ride. Well, and there's a couple things there, too. If you're going to go do the adrenaline trip, <clears throat> excuse me, the adrenaline trip with all the guys, you can do that, right? There's a time for that. You can take off on your sled. Yep. You can go do something different. And when you want to ride with your friends, you know, or a different group of friends or a different community, there's a time for that, too. So put it exactly. all together, and it seems exactly. to work out well. So done good there. I yep. have not seen a lot of your boys riding snowmobile, do they? <laughs> well, that's interesting, too, because uh, when they were young and we didn't have the option to leave them at home, yes, we've included them since they were little, little kids in snowmobiling so that they could be part of it. And so since my boys were little, they've been riding kitty cats and 120s and then, you know, mid-sized snowmobiles and, you know, adult-sized snowmobiles later on. And, you know, they always were kind of indifferent about it. It was never their thing, but they understood that this was part of being part of our family. But we didn't really force it or push it on them or really push the envelope hard. And so at the point that they were finally old enough, kind of in their 13 to 15 year old range, um, started giving them the option to uh, choose if they wanted to come with or not. And they chose it wasn't their thing. And, you know, as much as that broke my heart at that same time that they were starting to pull away from it, my wife, Edith, was more getting into it. And so there was this balance for me where like, okay, even if the kids don't want to be part of it, at least I have my time with my wife and, and there too, and the family and the friends there too. And so we'd allow the kids to just stay back, you know, just for the day, we'd go for a day trip and come back down and they'd be home, you know, and then now we're at the point where for one reason or another, it's just not their thing. Like I've had four snowmobiles at one time where the kids had each their own snowmobile available, you know, <laughs> fairly late model new stuff that people in the world would just like drool all over to be able to ride. And here my kids are just kind of like, eh, it's not my thing, dad, sorry, you know. And it's, you know, it, it's been tough. And so it's been hard over, like, call it the last five years to figure out how do I connect with my kids also. Like, I've got this bond and my connection with my wife around these power sports that we do, jeeping and snowmobiling. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, and this is probably a good time to make the transition, is, you know, how and when did I become a motorcycler, right, is literally – a year, it probably would have been April or May a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, maybe just shy of that. Um, my youngest son, Max, we were inviting him to come out and go jeeping with us. And he tried it a couple of times. And it was a similar response to what we had with uh, snowmobiling where, yeah, they tried it, really wasn't their thing. It wasn't exciting for them and, you know, all of that. And uh, it was, I was just constantly trying to like, well, geez, what can we do together that we enjoy together? Because 
you know, as a parent, like I want to do things with my kids, but frankly, there's things that they do that like I'm just not into, you know, whatever. And I'm not going to be excited about either, but I want to spend time with the kids. So we balance it out. But at the point that my youngest son, Max said like, yeah, maybe dad, if I had a dirt bike, I could follow you around on the Jeep trails and maybe that would be fun. And it was one of those moments in times where I'm like, my initial reaction was like, really? Like you would do that? He goes, yeah, yeah. I've actually been thinking about motorcycling anyway. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos and I'm thinking like when I turn 18 or, you know, when I move out of the house, I want to get a motorcycle and maybe, you know, for expense reasons and just because it looks like fun, I want to get into it. And it's interesting because almost immediately I'm like, okay, like I don't motorcycle. I don't have an endorsement. I've never done it, but I've always had an interest in it, but I've never done it. Um, we talked about it and, and it's kind of an interesting philosophy I'll share with you. I don't know. It's <laughs> one of the things we've done with our children, uh, you know, through their whole life and fingers crossed 18 and 20, it seems to have worked out is we don't do a lot to shelter our children. You know, Max and John are two kids. Yep. You know, what we've done with them in life is, is we've allowed them to experience the world as it comes and explain it to them and teach them as parents, whether it be little kids and watching a PG-13 movie before they were 13 or whatever it was, you know, there's different things. And this was one of those defining moments is like, okay, it's time for me to kind of think through this is if Max is going to go become a motorcycler, he's pretty much got his mindset on it and he's a year away or so from doing it. Um, my initial reaction was we talked about it. We had the why behind it. And my initial reaction was like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that actually, but it's going to come with, you know, a subset of guidelines and rules. And you're going to go through the endorsement safety classes, the MSF classes and everything. And as we were early on talking about it, Edith was the one who right away was like, well, if he's going to do it, it probably would be best for you guys to go through it together and just get two bikes. Cause in my mind, we were like, okay, I'll buy a bike for him and he can follow us around in the Jeeps. And then Edith is the one who suggested like, well, maybe we should get two bikes and have both of us go through it. And so it was super cool, Craig, because it was legitimately Father's Day weekend, 2021, that Max and I went to our motorcycle MSF course, got our endorsements. We tested out, got our, you know, permits, endorsements, all that kind of thing all at one time. And uh, what a cool way to spend Father's Day weekend with your son who is getting into motorcycling. I'm getting into it for the first time. We're learning it together. And it was actually my son that ultimately was the one who pushed the envelope of like, well, I want to get into it, which triggered me to kind of follow him into it with the idea that, you know, safety, education, guidance, you know, as a 40 some year old guy versus a 17 year old kid, I think uh, reflecting back, I would say that uh, my ability to make good, smart decisions now is much better than when I was 17. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, if I'm at his side and we're working through it together, I have the ability to influence what kind of a motorcycler he becomes, right? And yeah. that idea of, you know, co coaching, mentoring, safety. And then I found at the same time, like, oh my gosh, now my son and I have something that we thoroughly enjoy together. And it's really built a, an amazing relationship more so than I've had through my entire life with my son of like that ability to kind of just get out and have time together and connect. And we, we of course bought helmet communicators right away and uh, the ability to talk as we, we roll down the road. And uh, it, it's been just such a cool experience. I'll pause there because there's more to the story, but I'm sure you have some follow-up questions so far before we get into how that ties into getting my wife into it here, which is happening live almost as we speak tonight. So, yeah, it's, uh, and I've heard that story and I wanted to share that, you know, that's the whole reason behind this podcast is there's all these cool stories yeah. out there. And that is one that stands out just because of the way it went down. Kid wanted to do it. 
Dad thought it was yeah. okay. Mom said you're going to be safe, which also, I as you're saying that, I heard something else in there. And I think what Edith wanted to do was get you out of the Jeep so she could drive it. <laughs> I never thought of that strategy, but I think you're right because she has been enjoying recently driving the Jeep as well because uh, typically when you go out in the Jeep, I'm driving, she's a good passenger, and she's generally pretty content in that world. But I kind of pushed the envelope in the last couple of Jeep rides we've had and asked her to be the driver in these off-road situations where we're legit low-range four-wheel drive, put the lockers on, mud hole in a little bit, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, she was ear-to-ear smiles, which kind of inspired me to think like, wow, she loves snowmobiling. She's as passionate or more passionate than I am about it now than, than we've ever had. Like, there's not a day that I go out and ride that she's not right there with me unless there's some kind of extenuating circumstances where she has an appointment, can't make it, or maybe it's an out-of-town trip for an ambassador ride with one of my sponsors or something. Um, but other than that, she rides with me one-on-one snowmobiling every time, which is amazing. And it's, it's huge. So we get out you know, 40 some days a year. And Edith was like just a few days short of what I was last year. And we're on track for the same this year again. So that's just crazy. How long is the snowmobile season? Like how we're currently in March. (laughs) How late are you going to be snowmobiling? So so the answer is it depends. Um, In Minnesota, when I was there, snowmobile season basically was, you know, December through now. Right. And then pretty much it starts winding down pretty quick. Snow starts melting. And you get three or four months out of it, and it's like, wow, what a cool sport. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do it longer? The cool part is out here in Washington, you know, if you are a skilled rider, you know, such as myself, um, I start out mid-November, usually. This year, it was about the second week of December. We had a late start. Um, And then recent years, I've been riding all the way into June, actually. And so um, this last season, a year ago, you know, the end of uh, the springtime a year ago, um, the season could have allowed me to ride all the way into July. And the cool thing about the Cascade Mountains out here is that we get so much snow and it accumulates so deep that it uh, it takes forever to melt off, right? And so these high elevations, if you can get to them, there's literally some mountains that are snow-capped all year round out here just because of the amount of snow we get plus the elevation. There's glaciers on places like Mount Baker. Some of the other mountains out here have glaciers on them. Um, some like Mount Baker specifically, there's a zone of it that is legal to ride that you can go on. And as long as you can get on the snow and access it down below, there's a point where it's legal. Um, and we can like, literally I could have rode all the way through the first or second weekend of July, but we went on a family road trip. My last ride, I think it was like June 21st. I don't know if it was last season or the season before, but uh, you know, and again, the snow changes, it's spring snow conditions. It gets more challenging. You're riding a little gravel on and off because as it melts out, you know, we're going to be uh, wearing our skis out a little bit on the snowmobiles because it's on and off the gravel to access the snow. So, you know, grooming ends the end of March here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but, you know, the snow season will easily go on at least, at least another couple of months, if not longer. That's just crazy. Because, yes, we, were, we went yeah. to uh, went to dinner last night with some people. And, you know, we're recording this. Obviously, it is March, uh, what is it, the 18th, 18th today on a Friday. So the 17th, we were at supper and we'd asked, you know, a, a buddy of ours and his son went snowmobiling that day. And it looks like there's nothing, but he said, yeah, you get in the woods and you can still cross the lakes, but we're running out of time quickly here, especially now it's, you know, it's in the forties and the sun's out. So that snow's going away. Pretty typical. And like, you'll get in Minnesota there, you know, 40 inches of snow a year, maybe 60 on a good year. If you're lucky, Um, we'll sometimes get that in one storm out here in Washington state up at elevations, you know, our average snow pack or snow annual snowfall here in Washington state up in the Cascade mountains where we ride can easily be, uh, you know, three, four, five hundred inches of snow on a good year. It could be six, seven hundred inches of snow um, on a good year. 
and the world record for most annual snowfall on the entire planet, from what I've heard, is Mount Baker, Washington, back in 1999 at the ski resort up there on the opposite side of the mountain, but in the similar area where we ride. Um, that location got 1,180 some odd inches of snow in one season. That's just shy of 100 feet of snow. That's a lot of snow. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it, it is. And so it takes a while to melt off. And that, you know, allows us here in the Pacific Northwest where I live now. And one of the blessings of being out here is almost every weekend all year long, I can motorcycle, snowmobile, go jeeping, whatever, even the lakes down here where I live, they're not frozen over. So if you had a boat, technically, if you had a wetsuit, you could go out water skiing, you could go jet skiing, you could go out in your boat, go fishing. It's almost year round, you know, short of snowmobiling all year round. But, uh, you know, motorcycling can be a all year round sport for you out here if you dress appropriately and, you know, say have some heated hand grips and you're riding around in 40 degree temperatures. Because the roads are typically just wet here, they're not, uh, you know, they're not icy. Do they use salt on the roads? They don't actually. It, it gets pretty crazy out here when uh, we do get low elevation snow out here. Pretty much everything shuts down because they'll plow out the main roads barely, and then all the residential roads will be just packed snow and ice for sometimes days, if not weeks, uh, depending on how long the snow lasts. Well, and that's what I was gonna. Yeah, that just you're talking about riding year round. The snow is melting here, which yeah, that's all good, but. We're, you'll still see a lot of motorcycles not on the road because of the salt. Road salt. You know, the yeah. anything chrome, you got, you want to keep it away from the salt as long as you can. At least I do. Yeah, yeah. And I think most people do that's as well. Right so that's why I ask. Yeah, I know we have a, a buddy out there, Denver, that we, you know, I think you know Denver from yeah, uh, yeah, the V2M Life. With him a few, yep. Yeah, him and I have exchanged messages on, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger, and we have yet to get connected, but we'll have to do that soon. So. Yeah, so I know he rides. He can ride year-round. He said there's some really cold times that he doesn't, but the ability to ride year-round, you know, anytime there's there. a nice day would actually be kind of nice. Yeah, anytime basically it's it's sunny and dry, which is the rarity out here because you've heard of the Seattle rain. If it's sunny and dry, it almost doesn't matter in the temperature. We've got clothing to, to you know, dress appropriately for the coldness, but as long as the roads are, are somewhat dry and, you know, the sun's out, it's, it feels super good to get out on the road and, you know, get out of the, the, the Seattle rainy days slump because uh, there's many, many days throughout the season. You know, typically it's like October through June that almost nonstop the whole time. It's like kind of drizzly and rainy. And, you know, every few weeks or so we'll get a sunny day here or there. And uh, we take advantage of it when we get it. So. Yeah, for sure. Now that we're back on the topic of riding on the road, I wanted to share the story of how you got into it with the boy, how it kind of came about like it did. You shared that story. It was great. What were the first motorcycles you guys added to the garage? His and yours. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So with my off-road background, snowmobiling is technically an off-road, and I would argue that it's probably one of the most extreme off-road vehicles out there when you think of the abuse that it takes, what the suspension is, what it's, cal- you know, in my mind, I'm an off-roader, right? And then I've gotten into jeeping just, you know, six months before motorcycling, and so my mind right away, based on my son saying like, yeah, I'll follow you on the Jeeps was to let's get dual sports, right? Like we want to be able to ride from our garage, get out and do a little road riding. But in my mind, our goal and our destination was always like, well, let's go hit the gravel roads. Let's go hit some Jeep trails and, you know, have some somewhat capable dirt bikes. And uh, when my, my son and I finally decided like, yep, we're going to do this. It was, you know, I, I don't do anything slow. So within a two week period of time, it was like, okay, we decided we're going to do this. We signed up immediately for a, a snowmobile or a motorcycle MSF course to get our endorsements and everything. And it was like two or three weeks away. And I didn't even have motorcycles yet. And I'm like, okay, let's start looking for motorcycles. So within, you know, roughly a half of a week, 
I uh, started doing searches for motorcycles. I ended up finding uh, a motorcycle for myself. And keep in mind, this was 2021 in, you know, springtime, getting ready to go into the summer months, you know, late May, June, early June timeframe. And, uh, you know, the pandemic created this environment where everybody and anybody wanted to go out and do something, right? And so pretty much everything, snowmobiles, motorcycles, Jeeps, everything was at this idea where like, you couldn't buy anything, like even cars now, right? You think of here we are in 2022 of March, um, same thing now. It's like, it's almost impossible. The supply chain issues have become the biggest issue now, but just the demand for all these things. And so if anything was posted, it was going for at or above, you know, book value is what we found. And uh, it was just unavailable. Like if you didn't figure out a way to immediately jump on something, like it was gone. I would call on a motorcycle and be gone. And so over a period of a couple of weeks, I found a motorcycle at the, uh, you know, dealership that I normally buy my symbols and stuff at. It was a used one on, on site, uh, 2018 KTM 500 EXCF. So set up dual sport motorcycle, um, you know, 500 CC had decent power for my first bike. You know, what I was told is that's probably too big of a bike for me for my first bike, but I'm a, a little bit of a bigger guy and pretty experienced motorsports guy. So I'm like, okay, I'll try this. And so I picked that up and then we kept looking for bikes for my son and we wanted something smaller. You know, he's 17 years old, first bike ever not quite as experienced as I am with all of these other things. And so we ended up looking around for, you know, a 250 or 300, 350, somewhere in there. And um, one bike I, I was able to scoop up for him was a 2016 uh, Yamaha 250R. I think, what, you know, what is it? A WR250R. There you go. There you go. The bike we found for him. And uh, those are the two bikes we ended up with. And so from June until October, October, November timeframe, that was the two bikes we had. And in that time period, just in roughly six months, um, I had put on over 2000 miles as a brand new motorcycler, you know, over the summer months, uh, we had knobby tires in these things. So we pretty much wore the tires off of them. And uh, my, my son maybe had put on 1500 miles in the same amount of time because I'd gone out with some friends on a few trips with some uh, off-roading. And uh, that's what we rode for the first six months. And then I transitioned, if you want to get into that next, or if you have any follow-up questions on the first bikes. No, no I, I, that's a bike. I remember the seeing it on Facebook and thinking, wait, what happened? And I, that's when I called and like, what are you doing? But yeah, you, you got <laughs> that one. And then, yep. like you said, you wore the knobbies off it. And yeah, talk yeah. about the next one. The next bike's a cool bike. If you, if the listeners know bikes, this one's a really cool bike. And I think I, I made the same comment when I saw the picture on your, your Facebook story. I think it was, I'm like, Oh, I know exactly what yeah. bike that is. Tell us about that one. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason, you know, the reason why the transition was I found that the way our, my son and I were riding was very different than what I anticipated. Right. I anticipated us like riding from our house, getting out and hitting gravel roads and doing some off-roading because frankly, that's where it all started. We talked about like going jeeping and him following along and what we found pretty quickly trying to do some, you know, trails and off-roading was that he just didn't yet have the um, skill set and the experience to be able to easily handle the bike off-road. And so there was a lot of, you know, safe in all cases, we were wearing all of our safety gear, but there was a lot of tip-overs and, you know, him not quite handling the bike quite the way he needed to in that off-road environment. And so he very quickly got a comfort level for just riding on the road. Obviously, you know, you're not being thrown all over the place. You know, the, the, the asphalt is very consistent versus, you know, you're on an off-road situation. You might be in sand one minute, rock the next minute, mud the next minute, getting thrown all over the place. And it just, we found ourselves more and more riding roads than we were off-road. 
and that translated into almost 100% road riding. And I'm discovering along the way that I'm like, okay, this, this KTM EXTF that I had was great for what I bought it for, but that's not how I'm using it. And it frankly kind of became miserable because I was sketched out, you know, just going through twisty roads in the corners, like, okay, is the tires going to hold? <laughs> you know, you get up at the highway speeds and, you know, a dirt bike like that, it's like, it's more shaky in the road, less stable. And uh, had an opportunity to kind of just go out riding with a couple of friends and got on their bikes and tried different bikes and realized pretty quickly that like, well, if I'm going to ride 99% of the time on the road, then I'm going to get a bike that's made for that. <laughs> and so I actually at one point put up my uh, bike for sale, my ATM on Craigslist, didn't get a lot of bites. I almost didn't really want to sell it because I liked the bike, but I was like, you know, I put it up at probably what I thought was a ridiculously high price at the time, but I actually had people biting on it. And so um, I'd almost forgotten that it was out there because it had been out there for a couple of weeks. And then I had a, uh, a message from somebody, you know, not too far from me, about 30 minutes away from me, asked me about it. And I'm on a snowmobile expo heading back across the state, got on the phone, talked to the guy and, uh, you know, chatted to him about it. And he asked me like why I'm getting rid of it. And I told him based on what I just told you guys. And he says like, well, I actually, you know, and I told him I'm looking for a different bike. He goes, I actually have a different bike that I'm looking to get more into what you have. You might be interested in what I have. Right. And he told me what it was, and I'd never even heard of it. Like, I'd heard of the name Husqvarna, but I'd never heard of a Smart Peeling 701. Immediately when I think of Husqvarna, I think of, like, what I already had, which is dual sport bikes or dirt bikes, right? <laughs> I think of a and chainsaw. So, <laughs> well, that too, that too. But motorcycle related, yeah. you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm picturing a bike like what I have, but in white. You know, that's in my mind what it is, because those who I'm sure most know, Husqvarna and KTM essentially are the same company nowadays. You know, a lot yeah. of parts are interchangeable you know, motors are almost the same and everything else. And so when he said smart peel and 701, I, I couldn't picture what it was. So I quick Googled it and looked it up. I'm like, holy crap, that's a sharp bike. But I knew nothing about it. And as I did a little research, started watching some YouTube videos as I'm traveling across the country, by the way, my wife was driving. I was in the passenger seat. Um, that's what we all say. I, yeah, yeah, I was actually, you know, and so I'm over here like researching this bike as we're driving across the road. And I'm getting excited about it because I'm like, holy smokes, this is a bike that mostly is made for the road. But it's got aggressive enough tires that if I want to take it up in the mountains on some forest roads, it's it's capable of doing it. It's got some adjustable suspension. And holy bike, that's a sexy, you know, holy, holy crap, that's a sexy bike is what I was thinking when I looked at it. And uh, I got home like that night. I actually loaded up my bike in a trailer, went over to the guy's house. We looked at each other's bikes and kind of got excited about it. And over the next few days, we ended up legitimately doing an even trade. My bike was more expensive retail value. His bike was less retail value. But my bike being older, his bike being newer, lower miles, we came to the agreement that like, well, let's just do a trade. And we did. We went down to the DMV, traded titles, so we got it all taken care of. And uh, uh, since then now, that was probably October, November of 2021, I bought the bike with about 700 miles on it. And I think I'm now over 2,000 miles again already over the winter. So just since, you know, the winter months here, I've already put on another whatever amount of miles it is, you know, 1500-ish, give or take. So Yeah, that's cool. And then the 701's a single, right? It's not a twin cylinder yet. It is. It's a it's a it's basically the same motor as like a Duke 690, you know, a KTM Duke 690. Um it's a single cylinder 692 or 3 cc, 75 horsepower, I think 50 55 foot-pounds of torque, um 350 pound bike, naked bike super cool looking and uh you know for me as a new rider with traction control for not flipping over backwards doing wheelies and you know analog brakes and all that stuff too it was an upgrade for me of what i was riding and uh for the type of riding i'm doing it's been an amazing bike right so right now it's you know go up for an hour to three hour ride 
you know, a lot of roads that are 35 to 45, sometimes 55 miles an hour roads around me. I want to get on the highway and, you know, haul butt down the interstate at 70 miles an hour. Um, easily can do that. It's a nice smooth bike, but also if I want to take it up on some forest roads this summer, uh, it's capable of doing that. But I'm finding it's definitely, in my opinion, more of a road bike than an off-road bike. Um, but it, but it, it's an interesting combo, and I'm, I frankly love that bike. It's been super fun, amazing. But I can see that if and when we get out on the road for some longer trips, I could see the the need for a more of a cruiser style bike or something a little more comfortable for longer rides. For sure. The uh, one thing about that bike. One thing about your story, it's funny that, I, and I think it's the same in snowmobiling, you'll have to tell me because I don't even know this detail, but there is yeah. literally a motorcycle for every specific thing, right? So, yeah. you know, yep. like you, you explained the two, both of them are very cool bikes. The The KTM was an overly capable dirt bike. I mean, that thing was, yep. I've, I've ridden them. I rid them on a supercross yeah. track and they're fantastic <laughs> nice. bikes, but they're, you know, not designed for supercross, they'll do it. Uh, you better be pretty yep. strong in the legs because the suspension's a little soft. But, uh, yep, yep. but for woods bikes, there's nothing better. And then yeah. you put it on the highway, like you're talking about. It's like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I'm catching a lot of wind. It's you know, it's pretty physically demanding to ride the thing straight down the highway. And then you add the yeah. psychological aspect of are those knobbies going to hang on in the corners? And yeah, you you did a great job of realizing that. Although it's a great bike, it might not be the right one. The 701 yeah. is kind of perfect for what it sounds like what you're doing. There are other bikes. And then, like you say, if you want to get into distance cruising, that's going to be a totally different bike. So yep. good choice. And your son, now he's still on, on the Yamaha? Yeah, he actually still likes the Yamaha. And I think uh, we're going to be you know soon putting new tires on his bike. And we're going to shift more to uh, you know at least a 50-50, if not a, maybe a 60-40 split on, on road use tires versus right now he's got more you know, mostly off-road tires, you know, there's, there's legitimate street legal tires, but, uh, you know, they definitely are more dirt orientated where I think we're, we're going to lean more towards a highway tire on there, but with some off-road capability. So I have a recommendation for you on that for tires. Um, sure. I ran a set of tires. Message. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll tell everybody the, uh, sure. you know, and we're all industry friends, right? I don't know if on Facebook, yeah. you noticed, I just did a story with Metzler. Of course, my continental buddies are commenting on it. My Dunlop friends nice. are commenting on it. Um, so on the Harley, I run the Metzlers, but on the, the BMW, if you can get the continental tires for that Yamaha, I don't know if they make that size cause I'm not a tire guy, but I have the yeah. TKC eighties, not no, the eighties are full knobs. I have the TKC seventies. And uh, I don't know if you remember the the videos of me doing the BMW stuff on Instagram. These tires were on that bike when I did it. So they're TKC 70s in the front. It's a mostly like a, I'd say a gravel road type tire, but you yeah, can rail yeah. the pavement corners on it. Very cool. No worries at all. On the back, I have the TKC 70 rocks, which is like the, it's their new version of the 70s. They still offer the 70s, mm -hmm. but the rocks has a, a block layout kind of in the middle so it'll actually grab sand and there's one section one video i did on my instagram you can find it that you if you see the sand i went through it was with these tires yeah. they're completely capable they'd be perfect for nice. your son when he wants to hit the road he can go through sugar sand with them which I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to do but if he has to these tires are going to work they're not the best yeah. for all off-road but great for pavement and off-road i would yeah, and, i highly and, recommend yeah, and gravel I think mostly we're going to be just hitting like gravel roads and maybe some, some trails and stuff too, but um, definitely not like legit dirt bike stuff. Uh, we've kind of discovered that's not our thing at this point. So Yeah. So that'd be my recommendation for a tire to make that. It, it just matter if you can get the size or not. 
great tires. Very cool. Very cool. Your dealership yep. can get them. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Similarities between uh, snowmobiling and off-road motorcycling to road motorcycling. Anything, you know, stand out that's like, you know, this is a lot the same other than the people? Yeah, I think, you know, the similarities that I've seen between, you know, frankly, a lot of these power sports that we do and why we do them and all those things, you know, for motorcycling versus snowmobiling and the similarities I have is uh, it's really fully, completely maximizing the experience that you have with the great outdoors. You know, I'll pause there for a second because you think of what I described earlier in snowmobiling and, you know, the view to, views that we have out here and how spectacular it is, um, you know, here in Washington State especially, We've got some amazing, amazing, you know, rivers and mountains and lakes and just windy roads. You know, out here, there's, you know, similar to Minnesota, there's, you know, every road goes around something, right? Whether it be a hill, a mountain or a lake or something. And, uh, you know, so to be able to just enjoy the backcountry, the scenery um, and the spectacular views we have and just experiencing the great outdoors without being in a box, right? I think the box we all refer to as the car behind a windshield or whatever. And so to, to get that experience out there, it's a big, you know, similarity performance you know if you get down to it and you're really an adrenaline junkie um you know a, a snowmobile you know think about this for a minute the snowmobiles i ride um factory is like 165 ish plus horsepower with a 450 pound machine give or take you know back and forth on both those stats the motorcycle i have is 75 horsepower on a 350 pound machine power to weight ratio my snowmobile actually is an adrenaline rush i can do some amazing things on that and you know put it into some crazy places that uh, you wouldn't even believe if you're not into this um and for motorcycling same thing it's kind of that performance that adrenaline rush and buying the right tool for the job i think you said that earlier whether it be a dirt bike a street bike a, you know cafe racer whatever it is you want out of the sport there's a tool for you out there known as a motorcycle or snowmobile and uh you know leveraging that performance the skill the growth um, the experience, the seat time, like that's all very similar between the two and kind of how you're doing it. And then the, the, the interactions, right? The, the social aspect of it, which is the part I love. Um, like to me, there's a huge difference from my personal experience between just riding solo or riding with somebody without a communicator and having a communicator. So my son and I have that Cardo set up. And, uh, you know, we go out ride with friends. A lot of times we'll just connect in a three-way phone call because they've got their setup or whatever, too. For riding in the metropolitan area, we generally have cell phone coverage everywhere. And so we can just connect via cell phone and talk to each other as we're riding down the road and, you know, stay connected in, in just that social aspect. And from even a safety standpoint, too, when my son and I, the two of us ride together mostly, and the ability to communicate with each other and to work as a team and talk about, hey, heads up, watch for that car pulling out on the right. I'm not sure if they see us. Hey, you got somebody coming out over here. Keep an eye on that. Hey, there's a pothole up here. If I'm leading, I'll tell him like, Hey, keep an eye on there's a pothole on the right. You know, there's all these things that we can do and talk about. And it, it just becomes very social and interactive. And then frankly, you get to talk about father son stuff like, Hey, how's the job going? Hey, how's the girlfriend going? How's this going? How's that going? Um, and be able to have that bonding time while you're doing something like, you know, for my son and I to sit down and have like an intentional conversation for an hour, two hours, three hours frankly, it's never going to happen. You know, we're at that age where he's running and running, we're all doing things, but to go out for a motorcycle ride for two, three hours and to be able to just talk to him about anything in my life right now and whatever's going on in his life and have that bonding time, that's spectacular, right? So having that communication device when you're snowmobiling, very similar, not exactly the same because you're not talking nonstop the whole time, but you have a lot of like, okay, let's stop, take a break here for a little bit. And then we just socialize, you know, for a short break while we're riding. Um, and then, of course, through the clubs and, you know, different meetings we have, the social aspect of it is, is huge and the community aspect of it is huge. Um, 
yeah, so there's that. Differences I'm seeing is, uh, you know, snowmobiling, you're off the normal grid, typically, at least in the mountains. You're not fighting traffic. You're fighting very limited amount of other snowmobilers in your space. And so you're not watching for others necessarily as much as you are, say, on a motorcycle where, you know, you, <laughs> you know, it, it, you can't, I've always known this, but it's been extremely apparent in just the last year that we've been riding that uh, you have to assume everybody out here is ready to kill you with their car because you're invisible, right? Um, and so if you can ride with that mindset and just know that, you know, as you pull into an intersection and there's lots going on, you're ready to, you know, hit the brakes and stop or divert at any split second, knowing that you likely aren't going to be seen. If you approach the world like that in that way, you know, there's a major difference there between having to just assume <laughs> everybody's out to get you and kill you and you got all these things you know, coming at you versus in snowmobiling, you're kind of out there, even with your other teammates, you know, you're kind of out there in the backcountry and it's a, it's a different, there's things you got to watch for like stumps and rocks and avalanches, but it's different than the active interaction that you have with, uh, you know, other people and stuff like that when you're, you're dealing with road stuff. Um, and then at least out here, not so much in Minnesota, in Minnesota, I could open up my garage door, ride my snowmobile out, ride it all day and come back here and if I have to go snowmobiling like it's a minimum of a one hour ride plus a trailer or a sled deck to move my machine versus my motorcycle I can open the garage door and just go so if I want to go for a 30 minute ride if I want to just ride it down to the store if I want to get out for a three hour ride you know there's a lot of flexibility there versus you know when you're snowmobiling at this point out in the mountains it's pretty much a you're dedicating a half day to a day to it minimum um, to get out there and experience it where on a motorcycle I can go out for 15 minutes or I can go out for six hours whatever I want so absolutely one of the things that you had mentioned was, you know, the differences was traffic, you know, things moving were on the snowmobile. They're not, you're watching stumps, trees, boulders, whatever. Yeah. And that dawned on me as that struck me as odd because not odd, maybe that's not the right word, but it got my attention because in the motorcycle world, you're watching for all those things and everything else, right? Typically yeah. the roads should be good, but that doesn't mean a two by four didn't fall out of a truck, you know, three blocks ahead and nobody's seen it. And then that car's yep. coming at you from the left side while the pedestrian's about to hit the crosswalk on the right. You got to keep <laughs> yeah, track of all this stuff too. It uh, it can be pretty exhausting just emotionally riding yeah, a motorcycle. No, you, sure. you really got to, it's sure. a totally different animal. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you got the boy you're riding now recently. Um, you're getting <laughs> Edith, Edith into this as well. So tell us, tell us how that came about. And yeah, exactly. What's she going to be riding? Yeah, basically it's a pause, stop, rewind and repeat the same story I told you before, which was there was a moment in time where I felt like I was doing what I loved, but it was taking me away from the one that I loved. Right. And I kind of had those emotions and those feelings all over again, because as much as I love and I'm incredibly ecstatic for the opportunity to kind of have that bonding time with my son, him and I were going out riding regularly and then all of a sudden once in a while and just recently about a week and a half ago two eh, short just almost two weeks ago now um a couple that we snowmobile with a husband and wife who also then motorcycle Max and I went out for a ride and so the four of us went out for a ride we had our communicators on we had this amazing afternoon about a three hour plus ride and the entire time I was out there it was so much fun but I couldn't help having this internal fight in my head of thinking like I left my wife at home. And so th for those who don't know, just the bike I have isn't super conducive to have a second person on it, which frankly was very intentional up to this point. At the point I bought that bike, um, my wife, Edith said, I don't want a motorcycle and I don't want to ride on the back, 
digging into it, I found out it was more about something I didn't consider immediately, but then it was an aha moment. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. My wife gets motion sickness. And so if she's not in a position to have a clear view of the horizon ahead of her, whether it be on a boat, on a car, in a backseat, a motorcycle, a snowmobile, anything like that, if she's behind me and looking at the back of my helmet and doesn't have visibility ahead of her that's really crystal clear, um, she will get motion sickness. And so the idea of even getting a touring bike where she's behind me, she's 90% of the time still looking at the back of my head because I'm taller than she is. And even with a bike step up, it was super challenging. And so we consciously made a decision that I wasn't going to buy a bike with a big backrest on it because frankly, I didn't need the extra weight if I wasn't going to have anybody on there with me. <laughs> so I'd rather have a more nimble bike. And uh, I kept bugging her like, do you want me to buy a bike that's bigger? And it just was never going to happen. And that ride with my friends was like, man, I really wish I could figure out a way to get her out of here. And, uh, that Monday morning after that Sunday ride, I was sitting at my desk here sitting down and I thought, you know what, I wonder if a three-wheel Can-Am Riker or Spider or something like that would be an option. And my wife's birthday is a month from now. It's on April 12th, you know, back here about a week ago on the 12th of uh, 11th and 12th of March. I got this brainstorm. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call down to my dealership. I'm going to check and see what they have. I've got looked on their website. And they had one of these K&M Rikers, which is their smallest version of their three-wheel vehicles. It's a fully automatic vehicle, three wheels, two in the front, one in the back, single-seater, small, lightweight for her to be able to ride, power-wise, plenty of power, but not super intimidating. Um, and my wife and I, the reason we're happily married for 25 years is that, you know, we have a very good alignment on things like financial spending, you know, values, all these things. And one of the things that we had set ground rules on many, many years ago was the idea that we don't make any significant purchases without input from each other. And so I knew that if I asked her, she would say no. I frankly, would, I knew that, right? Like I just knew that she's going to be like, no, that's, that's not, you do your thing with Max. That's good. We're good, good. And I just stuck my neck out, my neck out there like I honestly had never done in my entire, <laughs> my entire marriage. And I'm like, I want her out there so bad. And I know how much she loves snowmobiling. And I know how recently how much she loved driving the Jeep and all this. Like I knew it was in her but she didn't see it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there was this op opportunity for me to call the dealership and I set it up in a way that it's like, okay, I need an exit plan. If this doesn't work out, I told my buddy at the dealership and uh, he goes, okay, I'll work with you. No problem. You know, good customer, bought a lot of stuff from them, you know, worked with them really well. And uh, at the end of the day, I put on reserve. So that was on the website in their store, they had a tag on it and uh, I had set up a surprise. And so the following, I was on a Monday so that same Friday, a week ago, um, we walked into the dealership, brought my friends with who are motorcyclers also and snowmobilers both. And we were going to go stop by the dealership, pick up some parts that I needed, quote unquote. And then we were going to go to dinner and, you know, all that. We went down there and walked in there and I secretly had set it all up and I had my little phone and my camera recording and I recorded her experience stuff. And we walked over to the motorcycle section and there was a smart peeling, um, 401 or maybe just a peeling for one. I don't know if it's a bit peeling, smart peeling, but it was a 401, a smaller version of my bike basically. And uh, I was like kind of joking around there like, Oh yeah, Edith, you should, you should check that out. Like she goes, no, like you could just see it in the recording. She didn't know she was being recorded. And it was hilarious. Cause <laughs> like you could, you could just tell she was going to have nothing to do with the motorcycle. Like it was in her and she's like, yeah, no, like let's just go get your parts and get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And so, uh, I finally was like, oh, well, what about three wheels? Maybe maybe it's like a three-wheeler, right? And so we went over to the Canem Rikers, and right on this Canem Riker, there was a sign on the front of it that we walked right by that she didn't even notice the first time. And we walked up to it, and I was recording, and I go like, oh, look, what? And she saw the sign. She looked at me, and she's like, did, 
did she just stuttering like she's like did you buy this i go it's for you <laughs> you know so there's a video again on my facebook page there's a video and so like edith is not somebody who does surprises well and so she was more caught off guard didn't know how to react like so the first like five minutes of this or several minutes of this recording anyway um i honestly couldn't tell knowing her as long as i've known her I couldn't tell if she was mad or happy or indifferent or like, I just couldn't tell because she was having different emotions. And finally she was like, okay. And she started warming up to the idea, sat on it. And then was like, well, let's take it on the park lot and give it a test ride. And before the test ride was over, she was smiles ear to ear and going like, hell yeah, let's do this. Right. You know? And so it comes down to this idea of like knowing her and how she processes things. I knew if I had just asked her or encouraged her, like it never would have happened. And so I had to come up with this like, you know, scam, if you will, to uh, <laughs> get her on board, surprise her with it, a little bit of a shock value with her, and then have her help her realize there. And so this following week now has been amazing because we've been watching YouTube videos, we've been doing research, she's excited about color coding it and accessorizing it with, if anybody knows, you know, Skidoo stuff, Can-Am stuff, they're super, like they have all these accessories that pop on and off, they have this link system that's there. Um, and so it's super quick and easy to just change the look of things, the, the luggage and things, the second seat if you want it, accessories like galore on these things. And uh, you can totally make it custom and make it your own. And same thing with our snowmobiles, same thing. She's got all kinds of custom stick, you know, graphics on it and stuff. And, and so she's totally on board and into it. And we're actually legitimately tonight as we're recording this on uh, March 18th, Friday night, we're going down to pick it up. I've got my trailer, my truck set up, ready to go. We're going to go down and pick it up, throw it in there. And then we're going to start practicing, get her signed up for the three-wheel course. She doesn't have her endorsement yet, but we'll be practicing here. And then, you know, getting out on the road shortly with the, the safety course in a couple of weeks. So That's awesome. Congratulations. This should be coming out about the time she is taking the course, I think. I think we'll be posting yeah, this one the sec- like the 28th of, of March, maybe. I think that's when this one okay. will come out. So. Yeah, I think it's like April 9th is when we ever scheduled for her three-wheel class. But she'll be she'll be on the road, you know, in the parking lots and stuff around us, practicing uh, in the meantime, getting familiar with the bike and stuff too. Because legitimately, she's never ridden anything with a twist throttle ever. And so the Canem Riker, it is a twist throttle. It's a single foot brake. It's automatic. It actually has the same CVT clutching system that a snowmobile does. So for us, it was a perfect fit. It's a very comfortable machine for her other than the twist throttle. Um and her ability to kind of use brakes and stuff like that too. I think she's going to, she's going to, she's excited about it. And uh, I'm excited that now we as a family have a new sport together. And I haven't even told you this yet, Craig, but like that moment last weekend of, you know, us getting together, my son, John, the oldest one who's not been involved in the story at all, because he kind of was in the same boat. We're like, eh, I don't know if motorcycling is my thing. Um, but he heard that the three wheeler was coming, you know, the Canem Riker. And then that actually, pushed him over the edge and so Sunday afternoon last weekend I spent probably about three hours with him getting him on my other son's motorcycle that WR250R um, for the first time and we were you know we got a long driveway so we were driveway riding we went over to the school parking lot next door and uh, he is now excited to start learning how to ride motorcycle too he probably will start out on the Canem Riker like my wife and kind of build up to it but uh, we may have an entire family of motorcyclers now and uh it's that constant transition of us loving the crap out of each other, wanting to be together, spend time and quality time together. It's that social aspect of the sport that, you know, to me, a motorcycle, a snowmobile, a Jeep, whatever it is, those are just the tools for us to be able to spend quality time together and uh, really experience adventure together, which is different than just sitting around, you know, watching TV together or whatever it is. So it's literally getting out to the great outdoors, experiencing life to the fullest, live large, right? Right. So let's talk about that. That's awesome. Uh, Way to go, John. Welcome to the community. (laughs) Uh, that's, that's my next thing. So we're, 
We've gotten to know your background. We've gotten to know you personally. Tell us about Live Large Universe, how this started, what it is. Like I, I think I mentioned in the bio or in the notes at the beginning, it's basically up until now. It's always been up until now, up until recently. So maybe the last six months, yeah. snowmobile focused, safety focused, a um, yep. lot of avalanche ed- education stuff. Tell us about the Live Large Universe and what that is. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, you know, for the respect of the viewers, I'll keep this part relatively short and sweet, but uh you know, I think an important thing to know about me, if, if you follow me on social media or if you, you want to know kind of how I pick, um, I've kind of coined this like slogan in my life uh, that I've turned into kind of, you know, it's actually a merchandise line and everything, right? And, you know, you and I, without going into a lot of detail, that's something that you and I worked on together for a while when you owned the t-shirt shop still. Um, you know, you were a big part of helping me kind of kick this off and moving it. And I think I give you credit. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I give you credit for saying out loud at one point. Um, John created this live large universe and I'm like, huh, that's got a ring to it. <laughs> and so live large was already a thing, but I kind of threw, you know, the live large universe, you know, at the end of it based on uh, something that you had said at one point. And, uh, you know, I've done this show called John Green Live that's transitioned now into live large universe, um, been on Facebook, been on YouTube, um, safety and education, but just helping other people tell their stories, you know, very similar to what you're doing with this podcast. Um, you know, wild ass, wild ass seat cushions, you know, the amazing work that you're doing within your community is similar to what I'm doing in my community. It's like helping others tell their stories, getting people excited about the sport, doing it in a fun, safe, responsible way, um, teaching people the right way to do things. Right. And, um, you know, but when you get down to the fundamentals of what live large is and why that tagline means so much to me, it's, it's really this. And I tell everybody, you know, live large, there's three bullets here that are sub bullets. That really is what live large means to me. And it's live life to the fullest, make the most of every day, and make a difference to others, right? And so go back to the beginning, live life to the fullest, man, like all these things we do, snowmobiling, jeeping, just living our best lives and making the most of all of it. That's the second part is like make the most of every day, right? It's God bless, it's easy when, when you have an amazing day and to make the most of it, like that's awesome when everything goes perfect. But it's like, what about those moments that maybe you're out snowmobiling or maybe you're on your motorcycle and you have a flat tire. I, that's happened to me. Like on my KTM dual sport, I got a flat tire one time when I was out doing some trails with a buddy. We, you know, hit a sharp rock, punctured the tube in my tire. And, uh, you know, now the adventure became, how do we get it out? How do we communicate with someone to come pick us up? Like, again, it's like, you just tell yourself that like, oh, I have a flat tire. My day just completely went to crap. Or do you make the most of every day and just continue the adventure, but in a different way, but have that mindset of being open to, wow, I'm just going to roll with whatever happens and, you know, make the most of good and bad days, right? Is what it comes down to there. Absolutely. And then make a difference to others. Yeah, make a difference to others. And I think of what you're doing with this podcast, you're helping other people tell their stories. You're helping other people in the industry hear these stories. And, and you're just, you're, you're making a difference in people's lives by introducing them to new network contacts, getting their name out there, whatever it is that everybody's got their their angle on it. But, you know, how do you support and help and educate and, and partner? And I think, I see that as a big reason why wild ass motorcycle seat cushions has been successful is you're not here just selling a widget, right? You're here as part of the culture. You're here as part of the industry. You're trying to network and help and support people. And I love, I don't, I've never told you this out loud, but the fact that you go to these motorcycle rallies and your product is on seats of your peers and your partners who are selling other products on their bike. Like I've heard you say, I don't know these companies, but clockworks and whatever these other companies are that you guys have that, uh, you know, you partner with each other because you truly have the idea that this is an industry that we all love, that we want to be part of, and we want to see grow and people to be part of, right? 
And so for you, whether someone walks up to your bike and sees the accessory seat of yours, or if they see an accessory windshield or lights on their bike or whatever it is that's going on, you now are a resource for them to say, oh yeah, my buddy over here at Talkworks, go talk to them. They'll get you all set up. Tell them I sent you, right? And you now are helping grow Clockworks business. You're helping that customer get what they need. And that customer is going to remember that. And when they come back and hear and see wild ass seat cushions, they now know that they've got something there too. And so I forgot to tell you, and I don't even realize it because it's so comfortable all the time, but my office chair, you had sent me at one point a wild ass seat cushion and I stick it in my office chair cushion and I sit on it every day for about, you know, eight hours, ten hours a day. And uh, I forget that it's here because it's so comfy. And I don't have to think about my butt anymore. <laughs> that's that's why we're here. Um, <laughs> everybody forget you save have an ass. ass. <laughs> I know, save my ass. No, that's good. So yeah, that's the that's the story of Live Large. And yes, to, you know, thank you for the props to Wild Ass. Yes, we all do that together. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I say, we all just want to go out there and have fun. And we're lucky Absolutely. enough to get to do it. So if we can help each other, yep. we certainly want to keep, continue doing that. What uh, yep. what have I missed? So I'm just going through here. I got to say, you are way more organized than I am. So to, <laughs> if we have any new listeners here, which when you share this, we'll probably get a couple. I typically ask my guest for a bio. Just, hey, give me a little something about yourself. So I got something to start in and we'll base the conversation off that. I know a few things sometimes yeah. where I can, you know, ad lib some questions, get them in there, get some more out of your stories. But uh, yours came with bullet points. I mean, everything. I'm like, oh, I don't need that. But thanks. <laughs> You're way more organized than I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm using them on my side. That's the thing is like, this is how my brain is wired. Like my life, my life is a series of bullet points. It's like, okay, here's the topic. Here's the sub points. Here's the details. It's just how I've become wired uh, both professionally and personally. And so, uh, you know, having this list that you and I have referenced to in front of me helps me and you keep on track and understand that, you know what? Like there's things I might forget, but they're here in front of me. If I like, oh yeah, I forgot to talk about this. Let me just jump in that. But I, I look at the list and I think we're pretty good. But uh, I, rumor has it, based on the fact that I've listened to every single one of your episodes so far, is you have a list of five questions that you want to ask. I do. So we're getting, making sure all the notes are covered. I think we've covered everything I want to. Yeah. You've got your story. It's all good. So you know the deal with the five questions. If you're new listening, the first few, they had never been exposed to these questions. John, you just admitted you listen to the podcast normally. So you've probably had some time to think about these. And I'm really looking forward to your answers. So are you ready for the five questions? I am. I so am. Five questions. Totally designed to make you think and uh, just kind of see what random questions we come up with. The first one, what is something you believe that other people think is insane? Well, I think one of the things that I have embraced and, and really have a foundational value in my life, and it, and it literally gives me pure joy because of the beginning of it, not the end of it, but it's the idea of, of give, give, give. You know, anybody who's known me for a long, long time, um, I, I will say out loud that the more you give, the more you get, right? And I think, uh, you know, there's, I think of what you've done, Craig, with your show and this idea of like the time and effort that it goes into giving into the industry the way you have, the way I have in the industry, in the snowmobile industry, um, you know, the, the network, you know, it's just time, effort, energy, money, you know, mentoring, coaching, the more you give of yourself and time, talent, energy, money, all of those things, what you'll find is if you give it, from a very genuine place, you will be paid back tenfold, like in karma, like <laughs> the world works in mysterious ways. I'm a big believer in things like divine intervention, karma. And uh, I think a lot of people would look at you and say like, man, what are you doing? Just giving, 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 like you're getting burned out. You're, you know, you're spending a lot of money. You're doing all these things that you're doing. You're give, give, giving. 
And what people don't realize is that I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of that to begin with, which is really the core of it. But what you realize really quickly is that if you genuinely give from the right place and the right mindset, you ultimately will be the beneficiary of a tremendous amount of blessings in your life. You know, and I've, I've seen it myself, whether it be 25 years of marriage to, in my opinion, you know, a little selfish here, highly successful two kids that are now 18 and 20 years old that just are amazing, turned out way better than I ever did at that age you know, a career, a professional career. Think about it. Some dude from Brainerd, Minnesota, doing what you're doing, like what you've done with your life. Same thing here. Like, you know, I, I was not set up in a life where I was set up for what I'm doing today. Like it literally is something that by just my philosophy of giving and my time and energy and finding value in that, uh, you know, has put me in a place where now I, you know, I'm an account executive working for Xbox, um, working for Microsoft, you know, making good money in a great place and a great company with lots of benefits. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's never been about like chasing the money or the dollar or the title or whatever it is. It's this concept of give, give, give and good things happen. Karma comes back to you. So people might think you're crazy. If you give a lot, if you're a philanthropist, you're donating, you're donating your time and energy. Like, how do you do it all? I get that question every day. They think I'm crazy. Like, how do you do it? But what I find is it gives me energy and I get a ton of fulfillment out of it. Absolutely. Great advice too. So next question. Now this is going to refer to your world on two wheels now. This could be an investment of time, money, energy, or any other resources, but what is the best or most worthwhile investment that you have made when it comes to your world with two wheels? Yeah, it's it's an awesome question. And I love the answers everybody's given along the way. And I've had to think about this one too, because my time on two wheels has been extremely short in the big scheme of things. And I think of like, what has been my biggest investment that has made my life on two wheels the best it can be and what I've experienced so far. And uh, an answer I don't think you'll expect, but here it is, is uh, 25 years of investing into my spouse, my marriage, my life um, to put in a position where I've got a supportive, amazing wife who's willing to support what I do and to have adventures you know, it's put me in a position where she supported me in my career to where I can financially afford to buy a bike. I, you know, but investing in my marriage and the relationship in my life and those five, I've told you this, but I'll go super quick, but there's five things that I prioritize in my life and it's God, my wife, my family and friends, my job, and then my sports, whether it be snowmobiling, dirt biking, keeping or whatever, it's way down the list. Right. And I think by prioritizing those things in the right way and investing in my spiritual mental life, right? My wife and my kids and all those things in my career, because I've focused on all those things ahead of time, but mostly on my wife and my, my, my marriage of having a successful life that has allowed me to experience the life that I'm experiencing today. That frankly has put me on two wheels because it was actually my wife's idea. Like, Hey, you should buy a second bike, go out riding with your son. Like if she hadn't said that, there's no way I would have done that. I would have just bought a bike for my kid. We would have talked to him how to ride and he would have went on doing his thing. It was sure. really her that inspired that that conversation. So investment in the marriage and my wife has been the best investment in every part of my life, including motorcycling. Cool. So what would be the worst advice you see or hear or have seen or heard so far when it comes to motorcycling? What's the worst piece of advice that you've gotten? This was probably, you know, I to your point, I had read these or heard these questions before and I jotted them down. And this is one that didn't just jump out at me. It's, it's super obvious. Um, you know, what I would say is that I don't know if it's advice as much as just an observation, right? It's like, you know, what I see people do in experiences. I think this, this, you know, I'll, I'll share a personal experience. I had literally, I think it was what day is today, a couple of days ago. Um, 
I think it was Wednesday night. I went out for a, a short motorcycle ride just to kind of get out on the road, enjoy some sunshine and go out there. And as I'm riding down the road, I'm, you know, content to follow traffic and the speed limit. And some dude on an adventure bike comes up behind me, unbeknownst to me. And he just, out of nowhere, I didn't see him coming or whatever. He passed me in my lane just as I was about to swerve over into where he was at. Right. And there's this moment in time where I'm like scared because I'm like, holy crap, I didn't even know he was there, first sure. of all. And then there, and so here's the thing is that guy probably made some assumptions about me. I don't know what they were. Right. But right. he decided it, it was okay to pass me in my lane within well within my level of comfort that he was way too close to me because I literally felt myself starting to maneuver his way as he came by me. And I scared the crap out of me. Just the fear of that alone would have potentially caused me to have a record accident as a newer writer. And, and I'm just like thinking, be kind, be gentle, like, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, it's this idea of, you know, what advice I get. It's like the, the idea is like, you don't, and, and this is life advice, right? It's like, you don't know where people are at in their space, right? It's like, you know, people might have just had their mother die and they're out for a ride. You know, maybe they're a brand new writer and you're just making an assumption about them that they're a, you know, horrible writer, a bad writer, or they're going too slow or whatever it is. And, you know, you don't know what you're dealing with, right? And so just be thoughtful of everybody around you. It doesn't matter if they're in a car or on another bike or whatever, as you're coming into the sport. Um, you know, I put myself in a position in snowmobiling where I'm mentoring and coaching a lot of new people coming in and everybody's at a different level. And so, you know, again, I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I just, you know, what resonated with me was this idea of like, wow, we all have an opportunity in our lives to make a difference in somebody else's life. And something as simple as that guy's decision to kind of like come in my lane, cut me off, scare the crap out of me. Like that could have changed my life forever right there and then. And so I think, you know, whether it be advice or decisions that we make in this industry, be thoughtful of who's around you and just know that everybody's in a different space and a different place. And as a new writer, like there's nothing better than someone who wants to come over and have a conversation about my bike or just come over and say hi. And I think that's the true community that's there. But I think there's in no matter what industry it is, there's these outliers that are out there that to some degree, I think, you know, they think they're better than everybody. Maybe they think they're entitled to whatever they think they're entitled to. And, you know, just be a good person is what it comes down to. So I hope that's close enough to tying into the end of, you know, that conversation that it makes sense. So. <laughs> it doesn't answer the question, but the question is basically designed to get that piece of bad advice, which then listeners can go, oh, yeah, I guess I've said that to somebody or, you know, that doesn't make sense or who the hell would say that? Yeah. But in, I think what it does yeah. is it just maybe it kind of backhandedly answers the question. Like, yeah, it doesn't answer the question, well, but it does it. provide a way to take something yeah. from it that offers advice to those of us that ride well, all the time it. and take things for granted. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, like, maybe what it comes down to is, you know, taking things for granted, right? It's like, me being brand new in the industry and coming into it at a, you know, 47 years old, 46 years old last year. Um, you know, I came into this with the mindset of like, I'm not an expert. I want to learn. And so I go into it with the right approach. And so I follow in a path of like seeking out advice, asking the right questions or whatever. Um, and so, but I think in general, you know, people, I've heard answers that everybody gives on your previous shows and I think they've all been, been great answers. And, but I don't know that I have the experience to, you know, say like, oh, industry advice and what are people saying? Because, you know, frankly, I don't have that long history of what's going on in the industry. Right. Um, but I, w I would say that, you know, for those who are who are out there maybe offering advice, 
I think maybe that's maybe the perspective I'm trying to answer this question is like, okay, as a newbie coming in, you know, think of the advice you're giving, right? And don't make assumptions. Go into it with an open mind, a kind heart, be kind, you know, don't just cut somebody off in the road and flip them off for no reason, you know, because you were making an assumption about them or in your mind, you're like, they're not worthy of being here, whatever it is. And so uh, it's, for me, that was a tough one to ask because I don't have the ton of experience there. But I guess that's, that's my final thought on that topic is, you know, as you're giving advice, you know, be thoughtful that everybody's in a different place as they come into the sport. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any requests or any asks from my audience? Absolutely. So y'all heard what live large is, and I would challenge everybody here to uh, take, take a moment and actually reflect back on that. Maybe even rewind it, listen to it again, but it's that idea of, you know, live life to the fullest, make the most of every day and make a difference to others. Right. I think there's a big theme here throughout this entire broadcast that you're going to hear from me of like investing in time and effort and energy into helping others um, makes a big difference. And, you know, as you do that, living your life to the fullest, my follow-up advice is, or my ask is get out there and try something new. You know, for me, I never in a million years thought I would be on two wheels on a motorcycle. But what I'm finding is there's so many similarities to what I already love about the other sports that I'm in, but it opens up a new world and it gives you a different perspective by taking on something new. Basically get out of your comfort zone, push yourself, try something new and experience the life that we're all here on this planet to, to experience, which is make the most of it. So. Perfect. And to follow you, where uh, where do we do that? Yeah, my primary presence on social media is on Facebook. Um, and it's just my name, John Farian. And you'll find me there if you want to look me up. Um, and it's just J- John Farian. So I think my, my son has a, a page called John Jaron Farian. Um, so just know I'm the, I'm the old guy with the snowmobile in the picture. My, uh, <laughs> you know, if you find my son by accident, uh, but yeah, send me a friend request. And if you want to, uh, you know, send me a private message, just alerting me that you're sending it. If you're not a snowmobiler, cause you know, at this point, uh, I try to be thoughtful about who I'm adding. And, uh, if it doesn't look like they're, they're following the sports that I love, uh, I may or may not accept them because you get these random ones there too. Uh, Instagram, same thing. I'm not as active there, but you know, probably 30, 40% of my time I spend over there. And, uh, you know, same thing, my name, John, and it's J-O-N-F-E-R-R-I-A-N, John Farian. And uh, there, and where else? YouTube, you can actually find my YouTube channel called Live Large Universe. Um, Mostly what's there is my podcast around safety and education in the snowmobile world. Got a few episodes out there over the last year on jeeping. Haven't done too much on motorcycling yet, but I'm eager. If if somebody hears this and they want to reach out and they want to do a podcast on motorcycling and tying into some kind of an educational piece or life lessons learned or something like that. My goal with my show is always to, uh, to educate whoever's listening. I want them to walk away feeling like they learned something or have a takeaway type of thing. And so, you know, invitation to everybody there, if they want to reach out to me and talk to me about bikes, I'd, I'd love to, to, to chat with them and maybe bring them on my show and we can uh, share that, share the love. Absolutely. You know, I'm always game. Last parting words. Yeah, I'll, I'll finish how I start, which is like re- literally like God bless you and, and live large, right? That's how I wrap up every one of my podcasts, and it feels appropriate here as well too. And uh, you know, really appreciate the people who've taken the time to listen all the way this through, and uh, you know, hear hear what it's like to be a newbie in the sport, but with some different background. Um, I'm eager to continue to hear all of the guests that you have coming up, and you know, if you are listening to this and you think that there's a story worth telling. I would encourage you to reach out to Craig because, uh, you know, speaking as a podcaster, our network only goes so deep and we don't know everything about the people who follow us, who listen, all those things. And so, you know, your story is likely worthy. And so, you know, send Craig a message, um, send me a message if you want to do something on my show as well, too. But, you know, Craig's doing some great things around motorcycling here and getting the, the word out about the community and everything going on. So, uh, 
you know, you're wor- you're worthy, you're wor- your story is worthy and uh, reach out to Craig and, and let's hear it. I'd love to hear, you know, the people who hear this, let us know what your story is. Awesome. Thank you for that. Everybody listening, I will post links to John's Facebook, his YouTube and his Instagram in the show notes. So you'll be able to click on those and that should bring you right over to follow him directly. Folks, if you like what you are hearing, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can also follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by simply looking for The Real Wild Ass. Again, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening so much. John, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. My pleasure. All right, thank you guys.